everyone, and welcome to Dead to Rights, the podcast video that features the crime genre industry. I'm your host, Donna Carrick. We're here today with M.H. Calway, my friend, Madeline Harris Calway, author of Windigo Fire and countless novellas and short stories, some of which have been nominated for major awards. But before we get to Madeline's interview, I want to tell you a little bit about an upcoming anthology that Carrick Publishing will be bringing out in the fall of 2020. It's titled A Grave Diagnosis. And if you've got a short story that you think would fit the bill for it, please send it over to me at w, sorry, at Carrick Publishing at rogers.com. That's Carrick Publishing at rogers.com. And in the subject line, please say story submission, a grave diagnosis. The story must be between 1,500 and 8,000 words in length. It must feature a clear and present crime because this is a crime anthology. And the theme of this anthology is illness. Now I give you wide latitude on this, but there must be an illness somewhere in the story that has an impact on the plot or characters. So again, that's a grave diagnosis short stories between 1,500 and 8,000 words. The deadline for story submissions is June 1st, so be sure to send it to me at carrickpublishing at rogers.com. And for more details on submission guidelines, please check our website, www.carrickpublishing.com. Thank you very much. I'll look forward to see what you send and um, make it your original best work. Thank you. And now I've got a short public service announcement related to COVID-19. Thank you for listening. COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. People with chronic and or severe health conditions are at higher risk of complications as they contract the disease. Watch for symptoms such as cough, fever, and shortness of breath. If you are experiencing these symptoms, please call a hotline and or consult medical advice. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Thank you. And now I'm happy to bring you Madeline Harris Calway, M.H. Calway, author of Windigo Fire. Well, welcome to Dead to Rights, Madeline. How are you? It's wonderful to see you, Donna. How are you? It's really good to see you. I'm well, thanks. We're keeping well here in the, the Carrick household and just <laughs> hunkered down, working from home every day and working from home every weekend. And <laughs> How about yourself? The same. My garden has never looked this good. <laughs> oh, I wish I could say that about mine. <laughs> It's just not true. I can say it, but it's not true. <laughs> anyway, I really miss you. I miss um, you too. We got to get this over with so we can go have lunch and natter and catch God. up and everything. Yeah. I know. Back to normal. That's right. So what have you been working on? I know you've been working because um, you wanted to keep your mornings clear. That's right. I have. I've been working actually on the, uh, the story for uh, the upcoming anthology, which is for the our grave diagnosis. diagnosis. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so pleased. How is it coming? Very well, actually. And um, it's a bit of a departure for me. I haven't done a crossover uh, with speculative fiction, but 
I, I thought I would try this. And, and you're always so open to um, experimentation and sort of, you know, because you published one of my other stories, which was more of a, a mystical mystery. Right. And right. so I know that you're going to be open-minded and you look at the story with an open mind when you get it. Absolutely. You know I will. And especially coming from you, I know that it's going to be a really good story. I can't wait to see it. Um, and and any, I, can you... Um, can you impart the working title or is it too soon? It is. It's called The Eternal Bakery of the Fractal Mind. <gasps> I love it. I loved that <laughs> movie, The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind with Jim Carrey. I mean, that was just classic. I know it wasn't a huge hit at the time, but I suspect it's going to be one of those movies that just kind of stays around in the underground cult approval kind of sector, you know? Exactly. Because it, it's so well done. I mean, I found it really touching. Well, I got the idea last year when I was in uh, Vancouver for Left Coast Crime and mm -hmm. I went to university in Vancouver. So Anna and I took a walk around downtown and of course things have changed enormously. I mean, when I went to university there, it was quite a backwater. And, and of course now there's everything, high rises everywhere. A lot of the old architecture has disappeared, but so we went to look at my old apartment building. Mm -hmm. To my enormous surprise, the bakery where I used to have breakfast every day was still there. And we went in, I swear they have not changed the, <laughs> the menu. And they have not changed the chairs, table and chairs where I used to sit and have um, breakfast every morning. It's that same the vinyl chairs and the vinyl table that Oh, nice. Nice to know some things are the same. But you hope that they change the dishes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one hopes. And of course, and, and so that gave me the idea because bakeries are a product that everybody loves and bakeries yes. tend, to stay, tend the same, tend to stay around. So that gave me the idea and then I kind of went a little crazy. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. I can't wait to see it. Um, how far are you from completion? I'm almost done. Mm -hmm. I'm to have, I gave half the story to my writing critique group. Okay. Uh, met on Zoom. Mm -hmm. April 60. Excellent. And, and we're meeting again on the 6th of May because we thought it, we didn't want to wait a month. We're so hungry for human contact. Yes, I know, I know. I can't tell you how much I miss our lunches. I really do. It's a, it's a little thing, but it means so much to you, especially in its absence, you know? Yeah. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And so I've, I've been working on the story and, and really enjoying that. And I also took a bit of a departure. I started to write a novella, which is a, a supernatural story. It's an idea I'd had for a story. Okay. A long time. And, and it was one of those projects I was clearing out my files. And I realized I have nothing but half done projects and I'm determined to finish these. Yes. So it was one of these I wanted to get finished. Yes. It's really important to do that sometimes just to go clean out. And if you're not going to work on it, get rid of it. And if you are going to work on it, do so, you know, really important. Yeah. Let me just take a, before you tell me about your paranormal story, let me take one second to plug the anthology. It's coming out in the fall and it's called A Grave Diagnosis. And we already have a, a number of really wonderful submissions, but we are still open for submissions. So if our listeners are writers um, of the crime genre, the word count is 1,500 
to 8,000 words, anywhere in that pocket, must be a crime and must feature an illness. And if you've got a story you'd like to share, send it to Carrick Publishing at rogers.com. And that's my little plug. Ta da! <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll get lots of good submissions because one of the stories uh, that you published in, uh, I think it was World Enough in Crime. Bianca Murray is now uh, a, a big author, you know, and, and that was her Excellent. first publication, was in your anthology. Excellent, and it was a very good story. I remember it very well. It was a very creepy story. It was. If anyone, it was. Has, a, if anyone has a chance and wants to go back and review, the anthology was called World Enough and Crime. Um, you know, if we had World Enough and Time, this coyness. <laughs> To his coy mistress, right? I think that was the title of that one. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was an all-time favorite of mine, and I, I really was thrilled to come up with the title. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um. So look for that. World enough in crime, and you can you can see uh, one of Bianca Moray's first stories, and and you'll get a big a big kick out of it. Yeah. Now I want to hear about your paranormal. What is the working title for it? Um, well, I have two titles, but I'm, titles are always a challenge for me. Mm -hmm. So this one, I'm just calling it, it has two titles, two working titles, My Third Career or 123 Stargrove Avenue. But Okay, okay. It's the story I get. Or Blue Period number 29, right? <laughs> yes, I'll think of a better title. Number 29, we'll call it, because I know sometimes the titles come to you as you're putting the finishing touches to the book. The title doesn't always come in advance, does it? No, it doesn't. And my own novel underwent several title changes because my, my first title was called The Land of Sun and Fun because it's set in mm -hmm. Northern Ontario. And and you know, there's that little ditty that you see in all the washrooms where they're trying to say water in the land of sun and fun, we do not flush for number one. Right. So that right. was my working title. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And broken like a true college girl. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of lame. But anyway, so my agent uh, said she had a better idea. She called it gunning for bear because it is it's about illegal idea. bear hunting. Yes, but I loved the title that you finally landed on, Windigo Fire, because it was it was really a poetic title, and I love those kind, and it captured the the feel and the uh, the bear mythology and all of that. It really captured it really well. So that's a terrific book. If you haven't seen that book yet, by M. H. Calway, my good friend Madeline, it's called Windigo Fire, and you will love it. It's quite the um, quite the raucous crime thriller. So go get it. <laughs> so you've got these other working titles for your paranormal. Tell me a little bit about your paranormal. Who is your protagonist? My protagonist is a woman called Kate. She's about 50 and she's recently widowed. She and her husband were in a car accident. Mm -hmm. Her husband was killed and she suffered a, a head injury and she is now trying to get her life back. And what she and her husband used to do was buy old houses and renovate them and then mm -hmm. flip them. So she decides that she's going to get back to work, even though this is not a popular thing to do anymore and people don't care for renovating Victorian homes. Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of out of fashion. 
mm -hmm. now people tear things down and rebuild. Yes. But as she persuades her real estate agent or to drive into this enclave on the Don Valley Parkway, which of course is entirely fictitious. And there is this house that she falls in love with. Mm -hmm. And the house of course has a sinister history. Mm -hmm. But even more interestingly in this house, behind this house is a, a landlocked house. And for readers who may not know what a landlocked house is, it's a house that has no actual driveway or path. They're surrounded on all sides by other properties. But okay. what they have is an easement, what they call an easement. Okay, yes, yes, I know about easements. I studied commercial law once in my ah. misspent youth. <laughs> so I do know about easements. An easement for our listeners who didn't study commercial law is uh, an allowance. Like, let's say I own a property next door to Madeline and I have no driveway. Madeline will grant me an easement. And an easement is usually almost in perpetuity. It's almost, uh, it's passable to each new tenant or owner of my That's property. Right. So if I sell my property, I also sell the easement. So it does have a bit of a monetary value, even though it's an intangible. That, that, that's, that's absolutely right, Donna. And, and so I actually saw a house like this many years ago, I think about 20 years ago, when we bought our, our present home. Um, I was touring around the neighborhood and looking at different houses. And this house was, um, I don't think I'd be giving too much away now because the house no longer exists, but this house was on Stibbard Avenue, which is uh, between uh, Eglinton and Lawrence. Mm -hmm. and it looked like it was abandoned. So I had toured this house, and then I looked out the back garden, and, and there's this house, tar paper shack, literally, oh. leading to one side, and I said, I remember saying to the agent at the time, oh, that, that's an abandoned house. He says, no, actually, somebody lives there. Wow. And if you looked up, you could see, like, the power line going in, mm -hmm. and apparently, it was a retired school teacher, and it was elderly and was living in this place and had, it was a landlocked house again with the, with the easement that actually went yes. through the property that I was looking at. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so it, as I tell uh, people who go to my seminars, you have to start asking what if questions, like what yes. if there was a dispute between this house and the landlocked house and what mm -hmm. if this dispute had gone really ugly, what would happen? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what if the person who owned the house that you liked was kind of a, a rogue and it caused a lot of difficulties in the neighborhood, what, what would be, be done? And what if this person was actually a killer? Okay. Okay. But one of the people in the neighborhood is a ghost, but my protagonist, doesn't know that yet but okay as a result of the accident she her intuition or third eye or paranormal mm -hmm. abilities have she been sees enhanced. dead people <laughs> he sees dead people i love it it's really great <laughs> it's really something and, and it has the potential for some real creepy moments doesn't it yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's really great to stretch yourself as a writer sometimes. So you must find that, Donna, because you experiment in a lot of different styles. 
different modes, although you do very dark. I do. Most of them are dark. Yes, yes. Um, every time I try to go a little lighter, I end up dipping again. <laughs> it just seems to be my modus operandi. I don't know. But uh, something that you said just now triggered a thought to me. Um, you talked about uh, the what if questions. And this is really important for new writers in any genre. It goes right back to your grades three, four, and five teachers, what they used to tell you. Um, they always said that a good story always has conflict and it yes. looks for resolution. It doesn't always find it, but it looks for resolution. And uh, that's where your what ifs come in. What if this, what if that, what if there was a conflict? You've gotta be asking those questions and look around you as you go and be observant because the ideas really are everywhere. Yes, my good friend Maureen Jennings, and people um, I'm sure know who Maureen is, and she uh, is the creator of the Murdoch series. Yes. And, uh, and Maureen, uh, I had a great privilege to study with Maureen when I was learning to become a writer. And I took one of her best classes, one of the best classes I've ever taken was a creativity class that I took with Maureen. And she, Maureen has a methodology that I would recommend to any aspiring writer, which is that she kept um, uh, index cards, and I'm sure people could probably use their iPhone now for the same sort of thing. Yes. But every day, there would be one thing that would really make you sit up and take notice. And Maureen called this her bing bing moment. Yes. And great idea to sort of wander around looking for your bing bing moment every day because yes. it makes you more in observant yes yes and it plants easter eggs potential easter eggs for your readers yes. and i just love those i mean or as alec would say that uh you know you've got to drop gems along the way you just do and you've got to you've got to plant them either deliberately or undeliberately you've got to be planting gems and because your readers will pick them up and um even those that miss them will find some enhancement in the story because of them, you know? Yes, I, I, I feel the same. And um, the other thing that people could try if they feel blocked, because I originally joined Maureen's uh, creativity seminar because I was suffering from writer's block. And that is actually just to have a journal and to actually write by hand, but with a pen not not yes. type on the computer it's the actual physical act of writing mm -hmm. with a pen and if you can sit there and think you can even just write i don't can't think of a thing to write or my brain is empty today or my mm -hmm. brain is a vacuum today and eventually it's miraculously ideas will start to come from you yes it's really a way of tapping into your subconscious and bringing out ideas Yes, the way that the, it's just fascinating how the human brain works. The synapses are connected in such strange ways. And uh, I remember reading that, because we, we writers do a lot of research, so we're like masters of nothing, but, you know, yes. dabblers at everything. <laughs> right, I agree. I, it certainly applies to me. <laughs> That's right. So I remember reading at one point that when, um, when a child was having difficulty learning to read, it could often be because they had skipped the step of crawling. And the manual step of crawling activates certain uh, cell centers in the brain that allow for a fluidity in learning to read in the language, um, the language skills. Uh, 
And uh, so what they would do is they would take these young children and get them to crawl over here and get a book, crawl over there to go sit down, and then begin to read out loud. And they found that the children that had really great difficulties learning to read were suddenly finding that they could sound the letters and make connections and create words in their minds by looking at the, the page. So it was really quite fascinating. So I have no doubt that picking up a pen can act as an unblocking uh, lever because there's something about even just holding a pen for yes. a writer. Every writer feels this. Every writer has a passion for pens and stationery. Yep. If you've ever talked to enough writers, you soon learn this. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and the very act of holding a pen, even if you're impatient like me and prefer to keyboard because I'm such a, a fast keyboarder, I'll still pick the pen up and journal whenever I feel a bit of a dearth of imagination. You know? Yeah. Now, I was speaking with Blair the other day, and he told me that he does all of his first drafts longhand. Isn't that I, interesting? I find that so astounding. Rosemary Aubert. So does Rosemary O'Bear. Okay, okay. That's really, to me, that's fascinating because I'm such an impatient person, you know? I can key so fast and it's like, you know. <laughs> I've always written on a typewriter, though. Like, even I started writing as a child, which is a bit strange for somebody who, who spent most of their life in sort of science and business. But I, when I was about, five, my mother and I had quite an adventure, and uh, we drove up, my mother needed a break from my baby brother, and so my, my dad babysat, and my mom took me on this trip to Jasper, and I would have been about five or six. Anyway, in those days, there were, there was no highway, it was a dirt road between mm -hmm. Calgary and Jasper, and there were lots and lots and lots of bears. Tourists I mean, was, we're feeding the bears chocolate bars. Now, I was just a little kid, but I knew this was a bad idea. <laughs> and, yes, yes. And, and so we were stopped behind this bunch of tourists who were feeding the bears. And as my mother was sitting there parked, this bear reared up next to our car and slapped its paws on the window. Passenger. Oh, how frightening. My mother, my poor mother must have had it shock of her life you know but you know all the guys that came on this was amazing this was the yes. best thing that ever happened so of course i wrote that as a story when i could write mm -hmm. and uh, i got an a oh, unlike Ralphie, christmas story <laughs> i did get an a plus, plus, plus. <laughs> that'll definitely motivate you getting an a on your first writing attempt wonderful <laughs> But it's not that surprising that you've got a scientific background, but you have a passion for literary arts, because I think a lot of people are like that. I mean, Rosemary O'Bear has spent a whole second career learning higher mathematics because she just loves she's it. amazing. And she's such a good writer. And uh, I myself always liked mathematics. I mean, it's part of why I do what I do. Um, I just find it comes so easy for me. But it, I have no passion for it. I like it because it's easy and smooth, but there's not a passion for it. The passion is for the words, you know? Yes. So that's where you've got to go. You've got to go where your passion is, you know? I, I agree with you. I think my basic passion was always in the arts. Like, I come from a family of artists. My my, my grandmother was a, a gifted landscape painter, and my uncle was also a, a good illustrator and architect, a, a 
a musician. He had his own band. He could play by ear. But it didn't happen to me. <laughs> I, speak, <laughs> I both skipped my generation, but I could write. That was the one thing I could do. Oh, yeah, my uncle could also wrote books and published several books. So I guess I inherited that little bit. Mm -hmm. And the general quest for knowledge, too. You know, the even though it's master of none, it's still so much fun to research and to look into things and to find things out. It's like... I, I keeps our brains alive, you know? Yes, I agree. And, 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 you know, there's all kinds of things, like even though we're stuck in the house now with COVID, there's this one day university and now for, um, they are offering uh, seminars like this on Zoom um, mm -hmm. for a very low cost. I think it's like $7 a month. And you wow. can see like almost a different thing every day. So you can learn wow. all about spacey aliens one day and art fraud the other. So. That's oh, wow. wow. Yeah, that really is. <laughs> I'll have to look into that. My big thing that I've set out for myself during the, uh, the COVID uh, self-isolation is uh, to get better working with Adobe products, including uh, Premiere. Because, you know, I've been paying for, for um, Creative Cloud for years but I've never really mastered it. So I'm setting myself out to try and learn at least one new skill on it every day and see if I can get somewhere, break the monkey's back or break the camel's yes. back, or whatever the saying is. <laughs> How about you? Um, I know that the mornings are all about the writing, but do you and Ed have anything else that you're enjoying doing during this time? Oh yeah, like we, um, we, uh, I, I've still been going out and and um, and and writing, even though the uh, right to conquer cancer this year is is postponed. Of course, mm -hmm. I mean it's, it would be madness for four thousand people in a crowd to be writing at this time. Yes, yes. But to keep is my, the uh, my, is the fundraiser going to go ahead anyway? I I'm not sure where are I'm. I think the I think all my donors say and I feel that I would much rather the funds just go straight to research. That's what it's all about. And then if the ride takes place next year, just to start from scratch. But yes, we're still deciding. Yeah, yeah. Well, however they do it, let me know because you know I'll sign up. Yes, okay. encourage anybody else who will. Uh, the ride to conquer cancer is such a great thing that goes on in Toronto every year, except this year. <laughs> except this year, and and yeah, yeah. So I have been going out riding, and it's very strange. It's a surreal experience to be actually riding at this time because it feels like I'm doing this illicit activity by going out. I don't have a mask on because you can't really ride with a mask because yeah. <laughs> you don't get any oxygen. That's right. So I wrote about it in my blog and so as part of what we're doing is that I started to revitalize my blog because I, I, I did blog quite steadily for a few years and then I got busy and it kind of faded out a little bit and so I thought why was I not keeping up this thing that I really, really, truly enjoy doing, but the speaking yes. to the passion like you did, Donna, you know? That's right. That's right. And what is your blog website? My blog website is, um, it's just, it's right on my website, which is www.mhcalway.com. M-H-Calway. And that's C-A-L-L-W-A-Y. 
that's right. Yes. Yes. Right. Just for people, I know, and you know, but I, you know, in case anybody out there is listening, we want them to know how to find you. <laughs> I'm afraid it's one of those names you're always going to have to spell, you know, you're doomed, right? Yes, like, yes. Like Madeline, I, it's just a hard name to spell because it's actually a French name, you know? Uh, yeah, I have no problem spelling it, but sometimes my fingers get ahead of me, you know, because yeah. I do keep fast. So if you ever see me spelling it wrong, it's not because I don't know. <laughs> it's much easier just to call me mad because it's probably mad by name, mad by nature, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. You've got to be to do what we do, don't you? <laughs> At least a little, yeah. Anyways, Madeline, it's really wonderful talking to you. Before you go, do you have any other tips for writers other than the um, the great workshops and, and courses that you've talked about? I, I would just say one of the most important things is persistence. This is what I tell, not to give up. It takes a long time to become a writer. It's a process. Mm -hmm. One of my uh, good friends, um, Sandy Campbell, who is a... Uh, a literary writer uh, told me that it took her 20 years to become a writer and I think you may not want to tell people who are beginning that it's going to take you 20 years but, no. but it's going to take them, some time it's going to take some time it may not take them 20 <laughs> years they may have a natural talent but it'll probably take you what is it 10,000 hours to become really good at something yeah, I, I do believe in the tipping point. I do, I do. Um, I was talking to, um, I think it was Carl the other day, and I said that uh, one of the things I tell people is when they're complaining about their early drafts and their early work, I always say, oh yeah, the first 300 word, uh, pages are a bitch, you know? They really <sighs> are. The next 600 aren't so hot usually either. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, I have in my file cabinet down in the basement like all these uh, attempts, shall we say, Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, I don't have the courage to actually go and look at them to see how bad they really were. Yeah, one of these days I'm going to do that. I'm going to pull some of them out and dust them off and have a look. Because uh, I tend to be a real clutter bug and I'm trying to use some of this time to slowly try and declutter and work my way through it. I'm not a hoarder because I have no affinity for any of the things I've kept. I guess I'm just blind to it. Like, and, you know, it's like, oh, maybe I'll need that later. Or, you know, it's easier than trying to make a decision about each thing. Yeah, I feel yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> but I have no, like, if anybody were to come in with a truck and take it all away, I would not weep a single tear. So I know I'm not a hoarder in the true sense of the word. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if we hoard books, uh, that, oh, those yes. things are valuable. Those things are valuable. I mean, I think, you know, I think hoarders might mother-in-law was a hoarder and she hoarded plastic bags and caps off bottles and oh dear. empty yogurt containers oh and dear. things like that but no i don't, I don't keep those i i can be pretty ruthless about that kind of thing <laughs> yeah me too and i don't think that books account as hoarding because i think these are uh treasures really I always say I don't have to worry about the stock market because all of my money is in books and yarn. Yeah. <laughs> between, between books and yarn, when I die, it's going to be very embarrassing. I hope my spirit just goes straight to heaven and doesn't hover around because if it does, it'll be awfully embarrassed when people are going through my yarn and my books and going, oh my God, what was mom thinking? <laughs> <laughs> you just know. I mean, I remember clearing out my parents' basement and uh, 
Oh, thank God for 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Just thank God, you know. I know we had to do that with my mother-in-law. It's like my sister-in-law and Ed and I spent an Easter, our Easter holiday clearing out the crawl space in the basement. We didn't, hadn't even started on the basement and, and we got a dumpster and it was one of those huge iron things that you have to put wood on the driveway so you don't buckle the driveway. Yes. And I looked at this thing and I thought, oh my God, it's huge. Yeah. So I was going around the yard and throwing in all this yard waste thinking, oh, we'll never fill this thing up. And Ed goes, no, 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 because he's an engineer. I did a calculation. We're going to need another one. And he was right. Yeah. We need another oh, one. You just never know. Like I had to send the God Junk guys back twice more two more times and my parents were good clean normal people but they grew up in the depression and yeah. so anything that they didn't need to have a use for right now went in the basement it was just the basement their living area was fine but the basement was holy what a <laughs> moly you can't say. a telephone table from like 1930 well, you goodness. know one of those little ones with a little side table and a chair that the ladies would, you know, hello, hi, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did find some treasures even with my parents. My dad was pretty ruthless about throwing stuff out. But, you know, towards the end of his life, and he was well over 90 by then, you know, he got tired. Yes. So I was cleaning out this box and, and it was just because I'd had this experience with my mother-in-law and I just thought, I better just take a look in here. I was going to throw the whole thing out. It was a good thing I did because in the box I found two treasures. One was my birth certificate. Oh, okay. <laughs> I might need yeah. some time. Yeah. And the other was a painting by my maternal grandfather, my mother's father, who allegedly was an engineer, but I never knew he painted. And it's wow. uh, art, art naive, you know, mm -hmm. folk art but mm -hmm. very beautiful and really touching. And I was so glad I found that. And then when I mentioned it to my cousins on a visit to Sweden and they said, oh yeah, he was a painter, didn't you know that? No. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, it's good that you discovered it. With my parents, it really was money. There was money hidden all over the place. And oh, again, it was a depression God. era thing. My father was the oldest of three kids that grew up in the depression. And he was one of those kids that had to quit school after grade eight and get a job and help, you know. Um, and so he, it left a lasting impression on him. And uh, he, from his hospital bed, he said, when you're shredding my files, make sure you go through them first, because he had been a tax man for years. Oh, no. So I was going, you know, all his files had to be shredded because they're confidential. So every third file, I would find a whack of cash money that he'd hidden for us, you know? I mean, just, just crazy. <laughs> that's, that's a good basis for a mystery story, right? It sure is. It sure is. Yeah. So I'm just thinking now, like, wow, it is. Anyway, Madeline, I better let you go, but you have a wonderful okay. day. And stay on the line for one sec. Don't hang up right away. Um, all right. Thank you for joining us on Dead to Rights, and thanks for all the great tips. And thank you so much for having me, Donna. It was a true pleasure. I want to thank Madeline Harris-Calway for joining us today on Dead to Rights, the podcast video for the crime genre industry. Special thanks go out to Ted Carrick, the composer and performer of our theme song, Eyes of Gold.
Be sure to join us next week when we've got more great interviews coming up, including features with Lynn Murphy, Madonna Scaff, and Tom Bennett. So that's all coming up over the next few weeks, and we'll look forward to seeing you then. Thanks for joining us on Dead to Rights. Dusty road, a man alone. His vital signs go on hold. And I don't know what you've been told. But the years have turned my eyes gold. And I told you what you told me. We'd never be in the same boat for free, yet it rides.